0: Я рада вас видеть. Приветствую вас. Есть русские говорящие сегодня? Есть. Вот он. Очень приятно. Как вас зовут? Okay. Okay. So it's always good to ask. It's kind of fun to know who's in the room. And have I done this microphone okay? Are we good? Okay. All right. We switched some things up after first service. So, all right. Awesome to be back with you guys and just... Congrats on first place. That is really cool. Um, And obviously that benefits me, so thanks for that. (laughs) And uh, you know what? I know that when you give, you pray. And uh, when I receive it, I've learned to pray too. Pray for you, because we've all got stuff going on, right? And we're part of the body of Christ, and we need each other. We need that support. We need that backup. And uh, my prayer card is changing a little bit, so I will send when I have a new thing, but uh, I'll explain that a little bit later. But this information on the back is current, the little white sticky note. So, um, Or not sticky note, but anyway, this little white spot has current info. And I am on Facebook. um, I'm I'm kind of uniquely on Facebook, so if you're interested, you can reach out to me in email, and I can tell you how to connect with me that way. And so, yeah, so thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for praying. And, you know, if you ever forget to pray for me, don't worry about it. Uh, My mom will pray for you, and you'll remember. (laughs) That's how that works. You don't mess with moms, right? (laughs) Actually, it's true. Like, you know, um, you have those moments where life is not exactly the way you want it to go, and who do you call? A lot of us call our mom, right? And so boo-hoo, mom. And And so often when she's praying for me, she actually will pray that way. God just put Kara's face before intercessors. Remind people to pray for Kara. So she actually does pray for you. So see? You don't even have to have that thing on your fridge, but it is a good spot for it because it does seem like we spend a lot of time there, right? (laughs) So, yeah. So me. I think um, the first verse that I memorized when I was about nine years old, I think there were some others that I probably had already memorized, but I don't remember those. The first one I remember is Joshua 1.9. Be strong enough, good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. God is with you wherever you go. So, and back then I wasn't doing a lot of NIV. So I don't know, I guess probably I had my parents' culture or whatever was going on then. So it sounded more like, be strong enough, good courage, don't be afraid. Oh, wait a minute. Be strong and of courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I see somebody with me. And you know what? Whithersoever I goest. Shocking, but yeah, there he is. And uh, I think um, a big part of that is nailing it on being in his will, you know, because then you've got heaven backing you up. And, uh, and just hearing from heaven where it is that we're supposed to be Telling him yes, even when it's kind of scary or maybe is outside of our comfort zone, and just trusting that he's got the details and he knows what he's doing. Because I think if he's reminding you, reminding you, speaking to you, speaking to you, it's because he knows something and he's asking you to step forward. And uh, it might seem outside of your comfort zone, but just maybe he knows something about you and it's a perfect fit. And so I remember way, like way back uh, when I was just kind of trying to hear God and trying to know what his will for my life was. And I had a pastor who just always talked about telling God yes, even in the little stuff, not that you have the whole picture laid out, but that just one step at a time, tell him yes, tell him yes, tell him yes. And then, you know, you're kind of conditioned to telling him yes. And man, it's hard to tell him no. <laughs> and you know, you just never know where he might take you, what he might do with your life When once you start telling him yes. Um, he kind of tends to show up in that. And so um, I'm actually originally from Seattle. My family's about an hour north of Seattle and about an hour south of the Canadian border. And um, my comfort zone was rain. So, um, you know, maybe maybe a week of snow a year maybe, and then you know all of Seattle shuts down because, I don't know, we don't have equipment, we have hills and wh- whatever, we have excuses. But anyway, um, <laughs> and so I, my whole plan, you know, I knew I was called to do the missions thing, um, didn't know where, um, but I just thought, well, I guess I should go to Bible school, you know? And we had a perfectly good school right down in the east side of Seattle and that's where I was gonna go, that was my plan. Has anybody ever had their plan? How has that worked out for you? <laughs> yeah, and so, um, I don't know, I just had a bunch of people in my world, I guess, that had been to Trinity in North Dakota, and bit by bit, it was like God started tugging on my heart, saying, you're gonna go to North Dakota, and I'm thinking. Um, so I don't know, there's this interesting thing about fear. I don't know what fear you have, maybe it's heights, or maybe it's rodents, or it's snakes, or it's, um, I don't know, tight spaces, or Um, And you can laugh, I know it's Alaska, so you can laugh all you want, it's fine, because I got over this a long time ago. But my fear in that time was cold and snow. And I had a fear that I was going to walk over snow and I was going to fall through it and I was going to suffocate and die. So um, fear is kind of funny that way. It seems silly to everybody that's not afraid of that thing, right? But somehow, in us, it kind of grows arms and legs and we get creative with it. And, and, um, and then, you know, I had good people, godly people, people that really heard from God in my home church that said, um, you know, North Dakota, it's, uh, it's cold and it snows there. And uh, I told this in first service, there was a girl that actually came to me, and remember, I'm afraid. I'm kind of, I'm kind of like ready to say yes, God, and I'm kind of admitting what I think I'm going to do, but I'm afraid. And so this girl comes to me and she says, you're gonna go outside in the dead of winter when it's freezing cold and your hair is gonna freeze on your head and then it's gonna break off and you're gonna be bald. (laughs) Like, thanks a lot, right? Thank you for your encouragement, right? and uh, so, I mean, you can see I'm not bald, so. Um, fear is a crazy thing. Stories are told, and, and if we allow it to take a place in our heart and our mind, it can stop us from that forward motion that really is God. So, I mean, God's not gonna tell you to do anything that's against this, so I'm not talking about that, but um, I, I love this phrase that a whole lot of God and a little bit of crazy equals adventure. And uh, so a whole lot of God mixed with your little bit of crazy, whatever it is that makes you uniquely you, that's adventure. So disclaimer, whole lot of your crazy mixed with a little bit of God does not have the same outcome, just saying. So you have to get that equation the right direction, and it works super good, so yeah. So, um, you know, I wanted to just tell this little... I'm going to tell this story. I almost wasn't going to, but I think I want to. So this is my eighth-grade Bible. My parents gave it to me when I was in the eighth grade. It's the Bible that has all the things in it, all the, you know, stuff that I went through, growing in God, um, first-time verses underlined and re-underlined and highlighted. And, I mean, it's kind of ugly in some places, to be honest, but it's, my, it's that Bible. And uh, I was headed back to... Siberia, actually just the year. So pardon me. I don't even think I said this. So I've been a missionary in um, Russia, Siberia, north of Mongolia since 2003. uh, Working with students, working with teens, working um, with, actually we were seeing some of the first-ever mission trips that we could understand going out of Siberia into other countries like Mongolia and China. And so just fun times, watching God um, grow kids in God, seeing them stand up in him and step out of their comfort zones and, and watching God just do new things, that call, uh, that direction. And so um, anyway, so that's the call of fire. So here I am a year after you guys started to support me. I was headed back to, um, headed back to Siberia, got on a plane in Moscow. My Bible was in my luggage. Got off the plane in Siberia. My Bible was not in my luggage, and um, I know it doesn't sound very spiritual, but I was kind of angry at every Bible I looked at for a year after that because I missed mine. You know, it was that Bible. It was the Bible that you turn anywhere in it, and there you you just know where stuff is, right? And um, and so in 20, I don't know. We prayed about it. People prayed about it. But after some years, you know, you just kind of think, well, you move on. So in 2019, right before COVID, I had come in for Christmas, and uh, I received, I'd just flown in. I was exhausted, um, and I received a message in uh, Facebook Messenger from somebody I didn't know, so I didn't open it, I didn't read it. Um, I was thinking, I will after I wake up a little bit, and maybe after Christmas. And so, and so then on a Wednesday, I went with my parents. They, have this, they had this prayer meeting at that time that they would always go to in somebody's home. It was pre-COVID, right? And, uh, and so I met a lot of people. I saw a lot of people there that I had known growing up in my home church. And one of the couples there um, kind of stopped and talked to me and said, hey, how you doing, Kara? We, we pray for you. Um, actually, we always pray. We pray for you, but we always pray for your Bible. Have you ever heard anything about your Bible? And I'm thinking... 2006, now we're, you know, it's now 2019. Is that like 13 years? Am I doing that math right? Um, I was kind of shocked, and I was like, no, actually no. Um, and they said, well, we, we always pray for that Bible, so we're still believing. am like, okay, thank you. And so then we get to like maybe thir- Thursday. I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday. Um, I'll try to say this clearly, because it's kind of... Uh, a lot. But my sister's neighbor, former neighbor, is my friend on Facebook. And she reached out to me also in Messenger. And because she was already my friend, I guess I read her message. And she, um, she just said, hey, the people that bought your parents' house a few years back in another town received a package for you from Europe. And I'm like, Okay, so I went back and I found that other message and I responded and sure enough, it's this package. Um, and it wasn't actually real clear where it had come from in the picture, but I reached out and I, clung, I responded to this couple uh, that sure enough lived in the house that I'd grown up in. And um, so I had to wait until after the Seahawks game on Sunday morning <laughs> to go and pick it up. Um, and all the time I'm just thinking, oh, don't get your hopes up. Uh, it's probably, oh, you know, who knows what it is. But then I also was thinking, everybody that knows me kind of knows I'm a bit of a nomad and I move around and, and you would think they would reach out to me and say, hey, Kara, where are you? Like if they knew me, where are you? So they sent it to the right place. And so I, there was a part of me that was kind of hoping and thinking about this conversation I just had with this couple and thinking, what are the odds? You know, like how? And so I pick it up, and I realize, oh, it's way too thick. So I get in the car, and I think, well. I open it up, and I realize that I had forgotten about the big old Bible cover that I had on it with about an inch or two, or I don't even know what, of notes and this and that stuffed into it. And sure enough, it was my Bible. <laughs> 13 years. I wonder about the stories that it could tell. Very curious about that. But inside was a note from a guy named Mark who lived in London, who was packing up his father, Trevor's apartment in London. Trevor had worked for British Air and worked at London Heathrow for many years, found my Bible. So it went missing in Moscow and he found it in London Heathrow Airport. And it had been in his apartment. He had found uh, an old, um, just envelope. Somebody had sent me a card and I'd kept the envelope so I probably could send him a postcard from some foreign place, because that was cool. I don't know. And so that's how he found my address. And he mailed it to me right, I mean, like Christmas time, right before COVID. So I don't know if any of you have had reason to try to send mail internationally, but it has been pretty wild and crazy to send mail internationally for a couple of years. And so even just like the timing in that. And so, yeah. And so I think um, that was just kind of one of those interesting seasons too. And I just remember it felt like God just reached out with a big hug and said, See, I know how to find you. I know how to connect you. I know where you are, and I mean, talk about the the proverbial needle in a haystack. I mean, like, even the world is not too big for him to connect us, find us, and put it together, and so I got my Bible back, you guys. How wild is that? So, yeah. (laughs) So, yes, please do pray for me because there's more going on than just getting my Bible back, and prayer is a good deal, so... Love it. Yeah. Okay. So this journey of, yes, North Dakota, and then on to the next thing and the next thing and into and, and Siberia. And, you know, um, I, I guess as I was spending time with students in Siberia and the former Soviet Union and some of these different countries, Latvia where I had started and traveling into other places, it was hard to not be aware of the issue of human trafficking. Uh, as it was being resourced out of these countries and um, into, into destination countries elsewhere. So prostitution, human trafficking, and, and, and whatnot. And so um, God started to kind of tug on my heart, maybe about, hmm, I mean, actually for some years, because really, uh, even in my college time, there was a girl on my floor that I met, and I really, rather became like a... Uh, Uh, appear in a journey with a girl who was a survivor. We didn't know it initially, um, but I would say the journey of her intervention happened uh, in about seven years of time in my home church. Uh, Started out, we just knew that there was an eating disorder and I had pastors who knew how to work with that and had quite a ministry there and then all of everything else started to pour out. And so she's still a friend to this day and she's one of my go-tos when I'm wondering about something, but God has done such a miracle of life and healing to her in every way. Because because trafficking, because because, uh, sexual abuse on this level, it so affects the person, mind, spirit, soul, and body um, that the healing work that needs to happen, it's not just happening in an overnight rescue. They're rescued, they're fine, all is good. No, it's a journey. It's a saturation of this. It's a process to new community and to truly understanding God's heart and just to be becoming new. And so, um, so that was kind of my first exposure, I suppose, in this world of anti-trafficking. Um, but you know, for all those years, I was working with students and in, in doing deep discipleship, doing what I loved, but also acquiring acquiring language, understanding culture. And, um, and then as I'm watching and seeing what's happening, realizing that God had a time for me to shift gears, to still continue with my why, to continue to work with Slavic peoples, but in a little bit of a shift. And so in that time, as God was kind of calling me that direction, I was back in the States for a bit, and I um, you can go to the first um, slide there, the first uh, PowerPoint page. Um, I was in my small town itty bitty Um, rest stop, for some reason I stopped at that rest stop on the freeway and I realized this sign. Um, And actually this is the first half of the sign, it's about eight and a half by 11 um, and it's actually in every rest stop all across up and down I-5 in Washington State and I believe actually clear to the Mexican border. It's also in hospitals, it's in um, airports and it says basically well, you can read the first line. That's one, that's one sentence, but in six languages. So, no one should force you into work or prostitution. And then you go to the second one. You have rights in the United States, regardless of immigration status. If you or someone you know is being forced to work, please call for help. And the fourth language down actually, whoops, one, two, three, four, five, oh, there's actually seven there, aren't there? So the um, fifth language down, that's in Russian. So that is the national hotline that works for you, anybody that, you you know, if you need to know that, that's the number to know if you're aware of somebody in trouble and uh, that, that has need. So but that was a shock to my system to realize my teeny tiny small, tiny, teeny, tiny, small town Arlington, like this was right there at the freeway in the rest stop. Um, And, you know, I mean, Arlington is a bit known, especially at that time for all the cows and all the smells that come with that. I mean, it's just like the middle of kind of nowhere, right? And it just really, it really shocked me. And it made me start to think about just even how we, um, because the church, we're a community, right? And so um, how making people known even in our bitty little, maybe we're in a small town here or, or a bigger area, but how it, we in clumps can make people known and how it can really make a difference. I actually, go ahead to the third one if you would. Um, so there's just kind of some resources that I picked up in a course um, that I was taking called Rescue and Restore. Sandy Morgan, um, who is with the U.S. Task Force, um, she has quite a few resources that, that, I don't know, they might be good for you if you want to snap a picture, you can ask me later. But, um, oh, is that the first one of that list? Okay, so um, Iamatreasure.com, that is actually for, there's, it's for church training. Um, and actually, there is in—it's a ministry in uh, California of a gal who was working in a strip club that found Jesus, and she has ministry that goes back into the strip clubs across California. And um, so excellent, excellent and accurate information because there's a lot of inaccurate information out there on on trafficking. Um, And so good information that way, but there's church training and there's also a survival only section. So if you or somebody you knows needs that, there's a free book of her story uh, and there's several other gifts that come with that. So that's a really great resource. Um, Salvation Army has great training for churches and individuals, because I think sometimes this is a hot topic and people are like, I just want to go help people, save people, but um, there's preparation that really needs to happen, and there's some excellent resources that already exist, so you can prepare yourself that way. CARE 68 network has to do with um, like what you post, how you post it, uh, media guidelines. You can go to the next one. NetSmarts.org is kind of a stop, look, and listen training, for training young kids. you know, We teach them how to cross the road. Why don't we teach them how to handle the internet? I mean, maybe we can keep it away from them, but at some point they need to know how to handle it properly, right? So that's a good resource there. The Blue Campaign is, another, is a toolkit for churches, um, faith-based. An interfaith toolkit is for churches sending teams overseas. And I think, is there a third one of these, I believe? Yeah, there's the National Human Trafficking Hotline again. And then there's a Cyber Tip line. This is another one good for you to have. They have about a five hour find rate. That's the number you wanna call if you know right now. Um, Then there's Smart Mamas Safe Kids, which is a great resource for parents and teachers. And Handle With Care is also good for teachers and just kind of safe ways. You know, sometimes we send a note home on Johnny and but what's happening in his home that just got him in big trouble. And so just suggestions and safe ways to to help kids um, navigate and and what we can do that's wise and healthy. So anyway, I just, um, you know, this issue of of, uh, if human trafficking, it is um, end present day, but it's also an old issue. And there are things that we can do as the body of Christ, just as we're aware, making kids known, making people known, being aware, and giving them connections. So especially in the foster system, I suppose, like in Russia, um, Ukraine, some of these countries, we have traffickers that are that are targeting um, orphanages and making deals with the directors of orphanages. Um, whereas I suppose an equivalent might be small town America in a large way, because um, it's a way to maybe get out and people that have been in abuse and this and that, like this is my way out. Um, but the foster system, because you have kids that have been moved around multiple times, and maybe they don't have a family that's had their back, or a church, or a teacher, and so. Um, but but making kids known, making people known, connecting them. So just a couple of little bits and pieces for you. Um, you can go ahead and go to the next, and this should be a map. Oh nope, it's not. I forgot about this one. I'm sorry. Go back to go back to this other. Yeah. So this was wild to me in this training that I did to find out that pimps and traffickers are using Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, there's actually, you can go out there and like do a Google search on it for how how to grab somebody in like 14 minutes. So if they're using this, why can't we as the body of Christ use the same thing to give community on that level to make people known? Anyway, go ahead to the next. So I found myself in this journey, and you can see this is, um, it's, it, this is a real simple map, but this is kind of about where Lake Baikal is, if you know where um, it's, it's the largest freshwater lake in the world. And Ilana Day is here to the east, Irkutsk is to the west, if you play Risk, you might know that one. <laughs> and then here's Mongolia, China. And so I found myself in this area of resourcing out. Things were kind of changing in this part of the world, um, in some politics and laws. And it just was, just was God's timing and the direction that he was calling me with anti-trafficking, you know, God is a smart positioner. He's a good scheduler. He doesn't waste anything. I've really been thinking about that. Even in COVID, even, even just with so many things happening on the globe, war, just, just so many things happening that's hard to get your head around, but it's like he is still God. He is not out of control. I've felt pretty out of control. Some of these—I don't know how you felt. I mean, this has been a bit of a wild ride, you know. But God is in control. He is not confused. He is not without ability to sort us. He knows how to bind us. <laughs> He's got us on a deep level. And so, um, just to, just a little bit of history on a, a little bit more too. Um, there have been four waves of human trafficking in. Uh, kind of more since the 70s. So first out of the out of Southeast Asia in the 70s, um, early 80s and mid 80s out of Africa and then um, South America, and then with the fall of the former Soviet Union in the early 90s, um, uh, that was the fourth wave of human trafficking that was more present day. Um, and but you know it's it's interesting because really the Word of God talks about this. I didn't read my Bible like this before, um, but uh, this is quite a story to think about that probably some of you have heard from 2 Corinthians 4. It's about Elisha and the widow, the prophet's wife, and it's a story of the oil in the jar. Do you remember it? So she has this this jar of oil, and um, her husband, the prophet, has just died and she has two boys that are gonna be sold to the tax collector to pay her debt. And Elisha comes up, he's a man of God, and uh, God just positions him in the right place at the right time, and God gives a miracle in the middle of it, but it was a person that noticed, a person that saw, and uh, he asked her what did she have in her hand, what were her resources, so she has the jar of oil, and then he proceeds to engage a whole community. And he said, uh, go, go get the vessels and the, the, the um, not baskets, what am I trying to say? The c- containers, the pots, thank you, thank you. The pots from this community that she has around her. And so the community gets involved, hands over their pots, and then the miracle. And she pours, 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 until all the pots are full, and then there's no more, but she sells it And she has enough. And that was a prevention. Her boys were prevented from being sold into slavery. Guys, that's 2 Kings 4. That's a prevention from somebody, from two somebody's being sold as slaves. That's what that is. Not crazy to think about. It's in the Word of God. So um, her resources, engaging the community, a God miracle. What's in your hand? You know, in this case, nobody even wrote a check. You know, they just, they gave her what they had and they worked together. And so, you know, with the rise of the internet, the issue of, of human trafficking has increased exponentially. And I think that's why we have such an issue present day on such a grand scale. With the pandemic, so much more even just went online. Those are some of the downsides to it. But the positive side is where we've had people in ministries that have already been in the streets, especially. Uh, because people weren't able to work in the red light districts, and that they were hungry, um, and so huge opportunities to bring food and to bring ministry that way, and uh, people finding Jesus. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Um, for um, For those of us in Southeast Asia, where I found myself, I, um, my country, I could not go more than five miles from my house to a grocery store, to a pharmacy, to a bank. That was it, and so. Uh, my first year, I had spent all this time really connecting dots and and uh, finding the different partners in ministry, finding where our Slavic people were uh, in by country. Um, oftentimes, it's hidden and it's high end, and so it's harder to connect those dots. I found in uh, Phuket and in. Bangkok, uh, probably some of my biggest opportunity, just in the streets and even, um, well, even in one, uh, one brothel that was all Russian speaking, I was able to walk through and just greet, greet the gals. Um, it was early evening all their doors were open and it's kind of a U shape. And I was there with somebody who'd been there previously, but nobody had had language ability. And so I started to greet them, I started to talk to them and several of them were a little bit, you know, they were kind of carefully, hello. Some were absolutely not gonna to talk to me at all, but they can all hear. And as I get around the corner, kind of in this, the, kind of the second part of the U, there was a gal that uh, got very curious and she said, are you Russian? No, she goes, how? And I said, no, no, I'm American. But I said, I've lived in Siberia for like since 2003. And she just, it was almost just kind of the equivalent of a jaw drop. She just, she, she was so shocked and she got very curious and we started to talk quickly and she started to tell me about her life. And, and, uh, um, and so I, I would have loved to have sat and drank tea with her and talked with her all night, but I had to continue on around. And by the time I got to the top of the stairs, the two girls especially that refused to speak to me at all, they were waiting at the top of the stairs like, do we get an opportunity to talk to you now? So I stood there and spoke with them. So once again, God wastes nothing. He's using it all in a process. Who knew that all my years in Siberia would actually um, grab the attention and be important in other places because in the former Soviet Union in Latvia it was the same and uh, you, you don't really approach people on the street, you don't really talk, you don't make eye contact, you don't talk with people. But um, in these settings and the ability to say that I've lived where I've lived, it opens doors. So, you know, as I was beginning this process of saying yes to God yet again into this area of anti-trafficking, um, I heard this woman who'd also had a similar journey of saying yes to God talk about this. It was a, like a vision or a dream that she had had and it was about God's house. And it, there was kind of like an angel, we'll call it an angel for the purpose of the story, but somebody was escorting her through God's house. And so, and she, she was there to look for Jesus. And So she wanted the angel to show her where Jesus was, and so they walk in this big. It's it's, it's a mansion. It's this. It's beautiful. It's it's um, the ornate doors and um, everything is beautifully decorated. She walks into the hall. Jesus isn't there. The dining room. The kitchen. Nope, he's not there. Sitting rooms. Living room. Not there. Finally, they they climb some stairs. Um, other rooms. He's not there. Climb some more stairs and kind of come to the private rooms of Jesus and uh, still, still he's not there. But they kind of walk into this one room that looks like probably where he sleeps. It's this big, beautiful bed and decorations on the wall and still he's not there. And uh, and the woman says to the angel, well, where's Jesus? I I really want to see Jesus. And the angels kind of like, kind of has this look on, look on their face like, well, are you sure? Because I, I don't know if you'd really want to go where, where Jesus goes. And she's saying, no, I really, I really do. Which, well, it's a diff- it's, not, it's, not, it's not a nice place. Are you? No, I'm sure. And so finally the angel is convinced and says, okay, well, you see up there by the bed off to the side down low, there's this kind of uh, wood scruffy looking old door. And, she, and the angel says, well, she's, he, he spends a lot of time through that door but you have to get really low to go through that door. And so the woman says, well, if that's where he is, that's where I want to go. And so she goes over to that door and gets herself down low and gets through it and kind of walks into this very dark room. But she sees that Jesus is sitting on a wood chair in the middle of the room with compassion on his face and looking at the windows of the world where he can hear and he can see the pain of the most difficult things around the world, around the globe. That is where, here this beautiful prince, this beautiful king of kings, that belongs, you would think, in this beautiful palace, mansion, in all all of this ornate decor. But here he's sitting on a simple chair in the middle of the room, listening to and watching and, and part, like part, not participating in a bad sense, but present in that place of people's pain, if I can say it like that. And I think you know when I first thought about the red light district, and it just seemed like you know the most awful, one of the most awful places I could ever walk in the world. And my you know my imaginations and maybe a little bit of fear. You know what what is it? How you know how would I? What would I? You know how how would this go? And and. Uh, but I will say this, I have found that as I, the more, the, as I walk, probably like that by that second time when I walked through, and we always walk in a group, I was amazed at the presence of God with me in that place. And I will say it is, I, you know, I've experienced God's presence in a worship service, or I don't know, driving down the road and praying, or I don't know, different moments that we experience his presence. But this was different this was different and I have not actually found words to really describe it, I suppose appropriately, but God's presence was so strong with me in that place and it was not a fearful place. I And I was just so aware that he was there in it and his heart of compassion was for people to be set free, for people to come out and that that is his compassion to be in the hard, hard places. Um, Psalm 139, seven through 12. A lot of goodies in that chapter, but I'm gonna go for verse seven, 11 and 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And then verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. I don't know, I've been thinking about this this last six months. My niece niece came to Jesus in the fall, so cool. She just had this encounter with God in the night and I've been talking to her a lot about God's math and a kingdom upside down, because everything's kind of opposite, you know? You come to Jesus, it's opposite what you think. And it's like, you think this dark place, I mean, it's just a place of darkness. How could there be light there? But to him, it's not dark. He brings light into that place, and His presence is strong in that place, and it's indescribable, and it makes me want to go back again and again and again to engage with with people, Um, the opportunities to invite them in to to maybe have their feet washed, or to sit uh, maybe on a break and just listen to worship or to write a prayer, or to just sit and just kind of regather themselves. They're not out yet, but they're in a journey and a process because there's an opportunity of somewhere for them to go, and Jesus is interested in them. Jesus has not forgotten them. Jesus' heart is for them, and he brings light to the dark places. Amen? Amen. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. If you're aware of recent events, you know we have war in Ukraine and, and between Ukraine and Russia and it's a heartbreaking time. Uh, I think, I don't know when I've cried so many tears, to be honest, especially in the beginning of this and uh, connecting with some of my Ukrainian friends, connecting with some of my Siberian friends. And uh, I probably, uh, we're being live streamed. I probably won't talk a lot about this right now. You can ask me later if you're interested, but I have found myself um, in this place of, again, another Psalm. I guess this is a Psalms kind of morning, but Psalm 73, 26. Though my heart and my flesh may fail. Oh, I don't think I gave you that one. Though my heart and my flesh may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In my flesh, a heavy, heavy time. But in the spirit, I know that God is moving even in this. Many people are finding Jesus, many miracles of protection and on and on and on that it goes. And knowing that again, on the globe, he is in control. And then Psalm 136. So I'm gonna kind of end with this. Um, Psalm 136, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in church, but um, I'm going to, because this is the chapter that kind of always, um, oh, I don't think you can see it all. This is the very, very repetitive chapter that says his love endures forever 10,000 times. (laughs) And I used to, I don't know if anybody else um, is like this, but I used to get so frustrated with this chapter, like, why do they have to repeat that 20,000 times? And so I would just read the other parts. And then I would read one resounding, his lavenders forever, and I would move on. Cause you know, if you're reading through, you wanna say you read it all, right? <laughs> so in the beginning of COVID, Somehow, this grabbed my attention because I was kind of looking at the early church fathers and some of the pandemics actually in history and actually how the church grew in these times and, and Martin Luther and the Reformation. We think it was just these, you know, these, these theses that were nailed to the church wall that got everybody's attention. But really, it's how they were loving, how the church loved through Black Death. And so I was just thinking about seasons and times and this and that. And I read this chapter. And um, I'm not gonna read the whole chapter here this morning, but it's like every single line like, it's basically like he created the heavens, his love endures forever. Then he created the earth, his love endures forever. Then he created the seas, his love endures forever. Pardon me if I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And then, but then we go from there to to the children of Israel end up in captivity in um, in Egypt, his love endures forever. And then this happened for them, this experience before Pharaoh, his love endures forever. And then you you see they finally get free in the miracles and that his love endures forever. And then you go from there to, um, oh, it's like nations are being established and kings are being wiped out and this and that. His love endures forever. And I thought, I don't know. You know how sometimes it is a verse just doesn't stand out until all of a sudden it just reaches out and grabs your heart? Um, and it just it, it's just like God was, God was saying, Kara, this is generations. This is hundreds, thousands of years. But there's a consistency in it. His love endures forever. He's faithful in the middle of all all the miracles, the chaos, the wars, the pandemic. His love endures forever. He's consistent. He's there. He's got you. He's with you. He's not out of control. He knows what to do. And uh, somewhere in these last several months, before even this war broke out, uh, I was invited to actually um, join Project Rescue in Europe, which seemed like such a God thing but didn't totally make sense until all of a sudden we're seeing what's pouring over borders to the west into, whoops, sorry, into Western Europe. At the same time, I had a, I, was, I had lunch with a Siberian friend in Bangkok um, and she was a translator um, for all of the Russian speakers that were coming in before COVID, for to do their medical and this and that. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like Alaskans going to Hawaii, right, in January, February, when you can't take it anymore. So <laughs> that part of the world is tradition. They love to go to to Thailand and other places. And she said, "Man, with COVID, it's just gone. And now we have, you know, with with martial law and, and other things that are happening." lack of ability for that to even take place. It's like the brook just dried up. Isn't God just so much smarter than us to know how to position and to set us up in the midst of it all? His love endures forever. Amen? So, and that's for you too. Cancer, his love endures forever. A big move, his love endures forever. A pandemic, his love endures forever. This or that in your job, or like just big significant, but he is is consistently there in the seasons of our lives. He's got us. Amen? Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you and let Pastor Steve have it back. So, Jesus, I thank you for Kenai New Life. I thank you for this gathering, and I thank you for this people. And I thank you for your faithfulness, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would cause people in this room to see what's around them and to say yes to you. I pray that they would hear your voice and say yes to you. Even if it's scary, that they would step past fear one step at a time to tell you yes. And that you'd bless them in that. God, you know what people have been through in this season. You know what's going on. And your love endures forever. You are faithful and you've got them. And Jesus, I just ask that um, you would be such a huge reminder to each one of us. You know how to connect us. You're not out of control. Your love endures forever. You are faithful. I pray that you bless this room, bless them in the things that you're speaking to them about and help them to walk forward in strength in you, knowing that you're faithful and you've got them wherever they're at. In Jesus name, amen.